Welcome to another episode of Direct Dialogue. I'm very excited on today because I have a very special guest. None other than my brother, my friend, Caleb Sanders. How you doing, bro? I'm good, man. How about you? Good, good, good. Now, the interesting thing about this is this is our actually our first time meeting in person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the crazy thing about it is though like is is if you would look at our conversations and when we're talking to each other you would think we've just been knowing each other for years and years and years but when it's a like spiritual connection when god connects you with people it doesn't have you don't have to know that person a long time you know what i'm saying yeah so for those people who don't know you won't you just introduce yourself tell the people about you and who you are um as you forestated, my name is Khalib Sanders. Um, I am the husband of one wife, one beautiful wife, three children. Um, right now, I am a resident of Port Arthur, Texas. We just relocated here. Yeah. <laughs> a native South Carolinian. Um, come from a very, very spiritual background. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the most part, I'm not going to say grew up in church, but in comparison to a lot of other people, grew up in church. Okay. And um, I think I'm the, the first, the first acclaimed preacher in both my immediate family on both sides. Wow! Wow! Um, so I am the very first trendsetter of my family, and um, yeah, I think that that's it. That's about it. Now I said Caleb, and you said Khalib. So is it is it really pronounced Khalib, and we everybody just calls you Caleb? No, it's, it's really, yeah, that, that's pretty much it is. It's, it's pronounced Khalib, and everybody calls me Caleb. I answer to it. Okay, okay, all right, because I feel bad now, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we already started off bumpy, but it's cool. So, uh, like we just, like you said, you, ju- you just moved to <laughs> Texas, and we have a connection mm-hmm. by way of your wife, because mm-hmm. me and my sister Hannah, was on the other side of the camera, snapping away. <laughs> We've been knowing each other for years, grew up in the same hometown. So can you take us back and tell us that story and how that happened from meeting your wife and the transition from Texas to South Carolina, from South Carolina to Texas? Well, um, I met my wife on October 16th, 2016. Um, through a mutual friend, um, very close friend of mine, an apostle, uh, David Johnson. And um, I was just kind of joking around with him, and I told him, I said, you need to introduce me to some of those Texas women. <laughs> and, um, you know, again, I was really, really joking, and uh, I didn't actually expect him to do that. Wow. So a few days passed by, and I hadn't heard anything from him because, again, I, I hadn't heard anything because I wasn't really expecting anything. Right, but then right. he reached out, and he showed me. A picture of my wife and I said oh I said she's pretty and you know it was like introduce me again not actually thinking that he's going to right. do it so um <laughs> he ended up connecting me in an inbox message with her and um I responded first introducing myself and she did not respond oh yeah she oh. didn't respond until maybe like 11 58 two minutes before midnight <laughs> and um we spoke from our first conversation um, the Lord said that she's the one for you. And um, I said, okay, <laughs> all right, you're not even looking for no wife, but okay, praise the Lord. And um, everything was just so easy. He made everything so easy. Wow. wow. Everything so easy. And uh, when 
we got to the point of marriage and moving her here, which was a very, very short transition. It was very swift, which was about maybe three, four months. And um, we moved, I moved her to South Carolina, and that was the inception of our marriage, but also the inception of one of the roughest transitions, I think, in my life. For the first three years, Mm -hmm. it was really, really rough. But something that I was reading in Leviticus, it talks about, um, the third year, everything up to the third year being profane or not fully productive, but everything after the third year going into the fourth year, God would bless. Wow. So we're actually entering into the fourth year, which is, you know, now one of the best periods of our lives. Wow. So take us to that. When you say that rough transition, just kind of take us to some things about what that was like. And you're newly married, you're in love and then boom. Oh, man, and that's exactly what it was. Boom, like a, a car crash. Wow. Um, it was really, really bad. It was really bad. Um, you know, being a, a new husband, um, having three beautiful uh, people, use the terminology, stepchildren, but they're no more step to me than the steps outside. They're my kids, you know, being a new father. Um, and then having so much weight so many people depending on you to win and not judging you if you lose you know and um it just made me it made me more selfless um it was it was a difficult transition getting accustomed to marriage and everything Mm -hmm. like that and then you know going through financial problems going through um emotional problems having a a, you know my church at this time is failing in the midst of this um membership is is drastically taking a hit um and i mean so many different other things um some of what i don't even have enough time in this podcast to talk about but um we went through we suffered it it was the true definition of long suffering man and i I remember um before we started filming i told you i I heard like a piece of your story and you were talking about the financial issues and different things like that and how rough it was and the house you guys were living in and all yeah. these different things like that. That house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so can you talk, can you talk a little bit about uh, that, that portion of the transition in that, that season? Well, uh, the house that we were staying in originally, um, so many things that happened with the church and mm-hmm. um, we had just come to a place to where we needed a place to stay. Right. And we prayed the Lord showed me where, and we went there. The door was open. God opened up the door, even though the person that we were in the agreement with was mm-hmm. dishonorable. God wow. still opened the door there wow. um, because he knew we needed a place to go. We didn't have any money. We didn't have good credit. We we just did not have it. And um, such is the case with a lot of young pastors. Right. They have no money. They have no credit. They have zeal and they have faith, but they, you know, they don't have a whole lot. So. Um, we went there in Orangeburg. Um, I found my home on Craigslist. <laughs> and um, not knowing a whole lot about buying a home, very excited about it, got the home. There was a lot of things that were cosmetically made over holes in the floor, underneath flower pots, wow. Wow. Um, termite damage, um, house literally falling apart, the wall caved in, the sewage uh we didn't have a septic tank like normal people did. So what we had wow. was this pump that would pump all of, 
you know, the waste from the house, and that pump went out. So we were pouring buckets of water in the toilet and plunging the toilet, you know, but yet still crying out and believing God. You know, we could, I could remember when we went through those transitions where our lights was off and, you know, we sent our kids to someone else's house and my wife and I would just lay on, lay in the bed fully dressed as the middle of the winter, you know, putting a whole bunch of blankets and clothes on the bed to keep warm and, um, you know, we we suffered through that and um you know as a result of all of the sewage the foundation like the floor began to kind of deteriorate we had rope i don't know if that would be called rodents i guess that uh, well we had a possum which is i think a marsupial come up through the floor and um it was just it was something that you would not believe more specifically a person went through but definitely not a pastor while we were still going live we were still preaching across the nation i was about to say that because i'm like because i was just always tuned into your lives and so you're saying this so i'm thinking hold up this had to be going on throughout the whole course of you going live and pouring into people and ministering people while their situations and changes and yours y'all's is staying the same yeah yeah Pretty much ministering faith to them, prophesying, building building them up, exhorting them, edifying them. And it was just like, you know. All right, God, well, when I was going to change. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. It was one of those faith cries where um, our faith was for them, but it was just like, Lord, we're, we're suffering through this. Oof. And we, we, we suffered because we felt as if we didn't have options. I mean, what options do you have? You don't have a real good paying job. Mm-hmm. You don't have a whole lot of money. And you're in an area that is stricken and, and the grounds are cursed. Nothing is yielding. Nothing is producing. Um, but when we heard the clarion call of God to, to move, you know, we knew that our lives, like not just spiritual lives, but literally our lives were tied up into that. So we had no choice but to obey you know so let me before we get to the specific move how was that processing that going through number one as a husband and as a father because we had talked about the the faith and and being a pastor man of god but how was just that as a as a husband and a father and just going through that whole it makes you emotionally detached um it makes you socially vulnerable and awkward Mm -hmm. um now this is the most time in three years that I've really spent with my family and enjoyed it where I don't have to leave out of a room and go and sit in a completely different room, you know, because emotionally speaking, you know, it was just too much to bear. And um, when you feel like you have, in a sense, I knew where my wife lived before Mm -hmm. we moved to South Carolina. So when you feel like you're responsible for bringing the entire integrity of a family downhill, Mm. it takes an emotional toll that you would, you know, you would never imagine. It doesn't matter, you know, even with my wife, she would tell me, well, you know, we were were struggling before, but in my mind, it wasn't the same. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it made you, it made me very detached, um, socially vulnerable, 
Um, and then when you're going through situations with friends that are dishonorable because they don't know the fabric of what friendship is about, you know, you add all of that to an already strained situation. Yeah. It brought a lot of dissonance in our home. Um, but it wasn't for the love that we had for one another. It was because of really just life. Man, that because that's very because I'm just thinking as as a father, like me and my wife went through a whole bunch of financial issues and transitions and moving and all of these different things like that. Because it questions, it questions your faith, it questions you. Like, this is this is my responsibility. Yeah. And you know the women, our wives, they pour into us, they pray over us. But as a man, just like we will never understand what it is to bear to to give birth to children. They will really never fully understand what it is as a man to I look. I, I gotta I gotta take this on. Yeah. Whether you leave or not or whatever. Yeah. I gotta bear this and then the whole spiritual and then you say with the friendships. Because you got people you think in your corner, mm-hmm. but they, you know, <laughs> backstabbers. Yeah. Smile on your face. Because they're tired of helping you out of your season. You know, they're tired of lending you money. So they'll give it to you, but it's grudgingly. Mm-hmm. You know, even though you pay it back, they'll talk about you. You know, they're tired of being your intercessor during that time. Because your life is bringing them unexpected warfare. Mm. Yeah. I feel like that is, man, that's fine. Because I'm like, I'm going, I'm like, I feel like I'm just on that journey with y'all taking taking you back because i see i see you going back and i'm just like you're like because you're in a different spot now but mm-hmm. just going back you're just like man because you're able to look at it from a different like man we really went through that yeah and, <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 so i want to i want to transition and go back to your roots in south carolina you're here in texas and You've been doing some wild stuff, talking about crazy <laughs> lately. Talking about the suits of Texas and all this stuff like that. I'm going to get my suit. <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I'm just not going to get into that. So take us back to the child and teenager in South Carolina and how that was. Well, I was um always a, a bit awkward, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be, I was a dreamer. You know, I, I put the definition of dream to dream, you know, um, and because I was always somewhat more mentally advanced and also academically because I, I was very, very intelligent. So mm-hmm. um, it was a little bit different for me. Uh, I watched my mom struggle through substance abuse mm-hmm. that ended in um, her passing away in 2006. Wow. And then um, I always lived with my mom's mom, oh, well, my mom's grandma, excuse me, which was my great grandma. Uh-huh. And um, me and my mom had just really kind of gotten close, and she passed November 4th, 2006. And then um, my mom's grandma, who raised both me and my mom, she passed August 30th, 2007. And then I moved in with my mom's mom, which was my grandma, uh-huh. and she passed June 5th, 2008. Wow. Um, so had all of these different um, things going into, um, at that time I was in South Carolina, but then I moved to Savannah because uh-huh. I moved with my aunt. And, um, you know, living just with that trauma, just, I was just like, well, is, Lord, are you taking everybody I care about? So I was kind right. of fearing right. because at that moment I was about maybe uh, 14, 
maybe 13, 14, whatever. And um, I just thought that may, I was really a curse. They were inheriting a curse. So living through that at 14, um, then I kind of started going through um, these immune attacks uh, where because I was under so much different, you know, dealing with anxiety, mm -hmm. um, anxiety, panic attacks that took control of my life for about three, four years. Couldn't wow. be in the dark, couldn't, you know... Um, be in a closed space. If I were to go somewhere and I didn't know where I was, I started panicking. Wow. Um, and as a result of all of that, mentally, I started having high blood pressure issues. This is all at like 14 or 15. Wow. And, um, and I felt that the Lord had called me into ministry on top of all of that. Oh, come on now. <laughs> you know, and um, I had already done like my initial sermon if that's what you would call it uh -huh. and i stopped after that because my family was sabbath keepers and i preached in a church that wasn't a sabbath keeping church so i was playing with god you know i was playing wow. with god and i kind of put that down for a while and um and then i'm like no i really feel like this is what the lord is calling me to do mm -hmm. and um i suffered sicknesses that they couldn't explain masses that they had no name for um, just different things, just going through a whole bunch of different things. And by the time I got through high school, I was just like, you know, Lord, I don't want to do this. And then being called to pastor. Mm. And, you know, I had gotten an offer from, from Yale in my sophomore year because, I, like I said, I was very, very smart. Um, I had gotten an offer from Yale because of my GPA. I got to sit in with some seniors or maybe some juniors and some seniors. But um, I was the only sophomore in the entire school district that sat in on that meeting. Wow. And, um, you know, when the Lord called me into pastorship, I gave it up. Mm. I gave up Ivy, Ivy League for storefront, wow. and then, which ended up failing, by wow. the way. Wow, wow. So when that happened, did you think back, like, did I make the right decision? Oh, I think about it every day. Uh -huh. I think about it every single day. But um, he'll redeem the time. I'll go back. I'll go back. Most definitely. I'll School go ain't going nowhere. <laughs> It'll be there. <laughs> Most definitely. So, like I said, I was listening to your live, and I caught a tail end of it. It was very something very interesting you were talking about. You were talking about how you served time. Mm -hmm. So take us through that and how that happened, and let's just, just take us on that journey. So a few days after I met my wife on the 24th, maybe the 23rd or the 24th. I met her on the 16th, so it wasn't very long after I met her. Mm -hmm. That all, Maybe I think it was the 22nd that all of this happened. So long story short, I was coming through um, Port Wentworth, Georgia, going into South Carolina. And for those that are from Georgia, they'll understand that there's a vast section of the interstate that's not um, a lit area. Uh -huh. So... I didn't really feel safe to, you know, cop got behind me, my headlight was out. I didn't really feel safe to stop in a, in a predominantly Caucasian area. Right. And I'm a black man, and at that time, if you remember back in 2016, in 2015, 2016, that was when the police was real crazy. Yeah. Uh, shooting up young black men, and I was just like, I, I don't feel um, safe stopping. So I, the only place I could stop was across the state line. Well that combined with crossing the state line mm. i was arrested for a felony mm. and um it didn't matter that i had no criminal record that i had 
never been in trouble. None of that. None of that mattered to them. Wow. Um, and I fought it for four years, over four years, three different public defenders. I hired an attorney because the case moved to preemptive. He dropped the case. Um, it didn't matter that I had been to court 12 times. They still deemed me as a flight risk because they wrote it up that I led them on, you know, just this massive high-speed chase. And um, in the disposition, there was 20, 24 different charges that they tried to charge me for um, and dropped them all for one and and said that, you know, well, we'll give you this, but in exchange for not going to trial, you, you serve a year. Well, after four years of fighting, I was just so glad to find it. I'm like, look, if that's what it is, just I don't I'm not going to take it. Just give me the year. You know, the sooner this starts, the sooner it'll finish. Right. And, um, you know, one of the roughest. Ooh, I don't even see how I made it through it. One of the roughest times, you know, going from the county jail first because they first. Well, let me say they lied first and uh -huh. said that I was going to do all of my time in Savannah, Georgia not be sent five hours away on the bottom half of Georgia where it would be impossible for my wife and, and everybody to come. Wow. Um, so if you can imagine being caught off guard, you know, you being taken out of your cell, well, open dorm, and then brought up to f up front, not knowing what they're bringing you up front for. I'm thinking I'm getting ready to go home. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. knowing that they're south, like, okay, is they going to send me home? But, um, you know, and then they said, oh, no, you're going, you know, you're going up the road. You're going to prison. And I said, what? I'm going to prison. So the van ride to uh, Georgia, Georgia State, I think that's what it's called, you know, Georgia State in Reedsville. And then we connected. It was about, oh, my God, I can't even remember. It must have been about 150 people going to prison with me. Um, and it was in the middle of the summer. Hot, no air in the cell, 50-something people. Everybody's stripping literally out of their clothes because there's no air. You can't breathe. You can't, you know. And only did I know, I'm thinking that this is the worst of it. This, it was not the worst. It, was, it got much worse than that. Wow. Getting to the diagnostic prison, you know, being humiliated by stripping out of all of your clothes next to 300 other men that are also in, you know, out of their clothing and then, Having to be uh, having to strip naked from your underwear after that, and then being sprayed with a poison from your head to your feet, you know, getting dressed, having your head shaved, um, then taking a picture of humiliation. It was just humiliating, wow. and um, and then being put in a dorm with, you know, I I had a traffic offense, so I had the lowest of the of the rating system, right. a level one. They put me with murderers. Um, rapist, sodomist, um, wow. the the cartel, MS-13, Haitian Blood Mafia, Bloods, Crips, GDs, Ghostface, Muslims. Uh, I was slap dab in the middle of that, but I, I kept preaching. I kept yeah. preaching. I prophesied. I did all of what I normally did. I, I preached and I prophesied to everything in that dorm shook. And until I, I understood that none of what I learned in church preaching, evangelizing, none of that worked because it didn't work there. I couldn't give them some churchy phrase. You know, just believe God. Man, I'm looking at 30 years. What do you tell a person that says that I have life without the possibility of parole? Wow. How can you tell me that God is good?
you know. So I had to learn a different way. And um, it was it was amazing just to lead a dorm in Bible study of 120 men and over half of them is listening, you know. Wow. So what was that like having to adapt to that environment and s- switching it up, using a different bait, you know, you know, as Paul said, like, it's like, you know, yeah, this shit is killing the church right here. <laughs> rough. Rough, rough, rough. It was rough because you had to depend on your own spirituality. They didn't hear me get out of character. They didn't see me act up. They didn't, you know, um, and even though the situation there was was horrible too. Again, 120 people in a in a concrete dorm. The whole building is made of concrete because it's the it's the place where they have the death penalty and everything. We're at the prison where they execute everyone. So it's a stone structure. You know, if a fire were to break out, we would die. There's no sprinkler systems. You know. Um, a concrete building in the middle of the summer, no air. You know, um, it was a rough environment. Rats, everything that you can imagine. You get three minutes to eat. If you don't eat what's on the tray, you better eat and walk. And if you get to the if you get to the trash can, you don't take food back in the dorm. You know, um, and it was slop. Furthermore, so during that time of from the jail to the prison, I had all I was I'm I've always been tall and thin, so. If you can imagine me about 30, almost 40 pounds lighter than what I am now, that's what happened in the course of two weeks. I just lost because I wouldn't eat anything. I was like, no, I fast for 40 days before you feed me slop. You know, I had standards even there. Right. You know, but um, rough thing, rough thing to live a life of holiness and everybody just kind of think you're too much. Hmm. So I know that that changes your perspective on your faith and just life in mm-hmm. general. Now coming out of that, how was how was how was your your lens of viewing the world just like Oh, I had to get out of South Carolina. That was the first thing that my mind was <laughs> even there, that was the first thing that from yeah. December up until well really from November up until maybe January, that was all that I said. But when the Lord had given me the word that I was coming out of prison between January 15th and January 18th, and I didn't even have a date. Um, I remember telling my wife, I said, I'm going to be home on the 15th because that's what the Lord said. Right. And I didn't know I was coming home. <laughs> uh, and It just happened to go to the counselor's office. He said, oh, yeah, you're going home next week. So as being a church boy, I am, I started hollering and travailing in the man's office and <laughs> acting crazy. But, you know, um, all of them were able to say, it's something about you. You 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 know the Lord for real. We don't see you do what everybody else do. You know, I would sit on that floor. But what they didn't understand was it was my travail that got me there. Mm. It was my travail that got me through that. I mean, I would sit on the in the floor because there's a side of the restroom. The restrooms is was on one side, and then there was an empty section where they would get where, where they were gathering. It was you know do their drugs and everything. But I would sit there and I would literally for the span of thirty minutes, sometime an hour, just just travail. Speaking in tongues, praying, and they would just all look at me like something is really wrong with him. But you know, in the end, it helped me through it. Mm. So that's really like taking your faith to outside. How they say outside the four walls of the church? Mm. Cause like, if you was not, if you were not rooted and grounded in your faith, you wouldn't have made it. You mm. would've, I would have backslid, and I would have gotten into. What everybody else got into and, um, you know, 
you have some men, unfortunately, men and women of God, that um, they they do those type things. They don't find an issue with it. You know, um, t- hard times come up. They party, they drink, they club, they do what the world does. But when you have nothing left but a Bible and your faith, God challenges you. And you have to be accountable for that. So I was like, okay, God, well, if you brought me to this, you you brought me through this. And when I finally got in my mind, even if you don't do this, you're still God. That was when he sent me home. Mm. <laughs> wow. Because I'm, I'm just thinking, like, what was the, the conversations like? Uh, when you would, maybe, I guess, you would call home and talk uh, with your wife and everything. How What was that? I know that had to be nerve-wracking the focal point of my day mixed emotions happy to talk to them horrible that you know they were going through different things that i couldn't help with you know i knew that they were suffering um and all i could really do was just pray and keep it before the lord keep it before the lord and um i can really say that people that are locked up incarcerated um, some for what they did not do, some for what they did and regret. Um, it's a very trivial thing. Because when I called, my wife answered, but they would, some folks would call and have nobody there. You know, so yeah. um, imagine just doing doing 15 years, and because of the life that you led before you got locked up, nobody wants anything to do with you. You know, so it, it was a very, it was a draining experience for me because... Um, you saw so many people you wanted to help them and nothing you could do. So what was that like? The calling home, he's locked up. Like, what was going through your... It was my faith that kept me. Literally, it was my faith that um, that kept my mind the entire time because while he was gone, emotionally, I had to keep my emotions together for my for the children. And so when he called, just to, you know, when the calls would come, I would tell the kids, oh, it's clean, it's clean, you know. He's calling, so they're all surrounding me. My mom tell him I said hi or something like that. Right. And so, you know, just to have to give him the message from them and he's not able to, you know, really hear it from them himself, it was emotionally. It, 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 it just did something to my emotions. But I had to like really just gather myself, and it was my faith that um, that kept me. It was it was my faith that kept me. <laughs> I don't, I'm gonna leave that alone, cause man, that's I'm just like I'm like thinking like, cause people see see y'all on your lives. Oh my mm-hmm. God, woman of God, man of God, but they don't they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> They don't know. Like I said, when I know you, when we talk about it or these conversations bring you up and it takes you down memory lane, like, dang, you, dang. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and when the tears flow, man, or whatever, and you just holler out, yeah. like, y'all don't know, man. <laughs> y'all just don't know. I, I don't know, but I'm just like here, you know, as a friend, just trying to think, like, man, what, like, what would that even feel like? Like, and then, like I said, you know, Father's Day is coming up and everything like that. And like you said, our people call and they don't, or they don't have anybody call. Mm-hmm. And for you to be able to have somebody that you right. can call 
even though it's tough, you be like, man, I really don't want to make this call. Some people don't have that option. Mm-hmm. Well, who am I going to call? I remember the time I, I was a prayer. I prayed to God because my birthday was coming up January the 24th. I said, God, I don't want a gift other than my husband to come mm. home. I don't have to have a, no one tell me happy birthday. I didn't want anything tangible. I just wanted my husband. And I said, God, if you can just grant me that for my birthday, I will be so appreciative. And I will serve you like more. It's like I made vows to God what I would do if you just do this for me, you know, because I needed him. I needed him home. And um, I remember the conversation we had on the phone, and he said, but I'm going to be home by January 15th. <laughs> Watch. I'm telling him I'll be home. I'm like, well, we believe in God, you know, because, uh, you know, the report was something different. different. Yeah, you know, and so they didn't give him an exact date, but, you know, well, actually it was for 2020 of June, I think. Was no, April. April. April of 20. April 22nd, 2020, That's, that was the report. But, you know, the Lord spoke with him and said January, January the 15th. And I'm like, okay. And on the 15th, he was home. He was he was <laughs> home. <laughs> he was home. Lord. And so that was uh, the perfect gift for me. You know, I said, God, and all I could do is just cry. You know, just cry out yeah. to God because you kept us in the midst of all that we had to go through and nobody really knew like my family nobody knew to the extent of the pressure and what we was enduring had to endure and go through so i'm grateful oh my god <laughs> man give you see that that's crazy that's amazing man that that's amazing so when people talk about a ride or die that's a ride or die <laughs> that's a ride or die for sure man so now you're here in texas best place in the world <laughs> you've been going real crazy about texas man and yeah how, yeah so how is this season and like you said it before you said it earlier how you're able actually to kind of in, in, enjoy it mm-hmm. and, and, and embrace this because this pandemic everybody's just some people are losing their mind but i'm embracing it man it's more time it's it's you know so how have you guys been able to transition to that? Well, our lives before the pandemic was worse than the pandemic. So mm. for us, you know, they're tripping out. But I'm like, listen, before this pandemic, and it's amazing how the father purposed everything to happen and delivered me out of that situation before the pandemic came mm. and was introduced to, because healthcare. You can't go to the hospital like that and, and while you're locked up. Right. You know, they may let you go if they think you're sick. You know, you would die messing with them. But, you know, um, our lives before was just one series of tests. So to get to this place, I'm like, man, y'all don't even know. So when I come here, uh, you know, talking about Texas, I make sure that I cease literally every moment that I can. Every moment that I have to tell God thank you for how for what he's done, for how he's done it, for the small things, for the big things, I tell him. Most definitely. So, yeah, that's, it's because, you know, we joke about it, you you know, your suit and everything like that. But like like we were saying earlier, you have a different perspective. Like, I could still be locked up. I mm-hmm. could not be coming home at all, whatever mm-hmm. like that. So, 
If it's wearing this crazy looking suit with the Texas or what, I'm gonna do it. Cause guess what? I'm I'm free. And I know for me, I've never been in prison or anything, but I know I live a life of bondage and traditions of church and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So some people think I'm extra, I'm excited. I'm, I was like, when you live a life of bondage and you become mm-hmm. free, you really don't know how to act. So you, you might really don't. you might you might say and do things to or you might say or do things that people just think is off or whatever. What is why is he doing why you doing too much? No, man, I've been in bondage for so long. So now I'm free. Like you said, I'm gonna take every man, look at the stars, look at the birds, I'm all of that. I'm mm-hmm. looking at everything from a different perspective because I'm free. Yeah. <laughs> Completely different perspective. Yeah, man. Completely different. Turning down. Because I remember it was a time when we would pull up home, and every time, my wife will tell you, I was just like, look at all of this poverty. Every time. It wasn't a time. Like, I was like, look at all of this poverty. I hate it here. I got to get out of South Carolina. I would say that every single day, every day. Mm. And um, to get here, and I'm like, oh, I love it here. Yeah. You know, just every yeah. day. I love the smallest things that... That, you know, my wife said, you know, you got me thinking about, I didn't even know that because I sit and uh, I do my history. Mm-hmm. I love it. So, you know, to me, it's not a it's not a challenge. And I do joke around, you know, and say different things like uh, that I wanted that suit, which, <laughs> yeah. of course, I really won't actually get that suit. Right, right. Um, but, you know, it's just, just the interaction <laughs> of just be able to say, uh-huh. all right, you know, I, I can't think of a time where I wanted to wear a shirt with South Carolina on it. You know, but yeah. now I'm trying to find Texas flag. I got to order one. Now, I am going to do that. I'm going to get a Texas flag <laughs> and put outside my house. But, uh, you know, I, I can't think of a time where I wanted to wear anything with South Carolina on it and wouldn't put it on. Mm. You know, not that I'm ashamed of the area, but, you know, I'm from there. I'll forever be grateful. But as I said yes, uh, yesterday, that was process for me. It's not destiny. So, mm. you know. All right, listen, we got a few minutes. Why don't you look into that camera throughout this pandemic and t- when when people get that that nudge maybe in their spirit and it might be not spiritual people they don't understand that but they know it has to be something better out there for them or something different and in their spirit in their mind they hear move or like Peter walk on water let's eat walk mm-hmm. in faith to look into that camera and talk to the people and inspire them you know you you have two choices the way that God gave you time he gave you time as an instrument and he gave you time as a blessing but what you do with that time is solely up to you now you can be one of those type of people that you will say you know well it's going to take me it's going to take me x amount of time to get x amount of whatever you need to get done but here's the thing even on the other side of that if you don't choose to get it done within that time when you get to the time that you originally set aside nothing is still going to be done so you might as well be productive during that time um, you have to you have to think of what is more spiritually profitable, what is financially profitable, what uh, what is going to just be your source of, of ease and not dis-ease. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you do that, God will begin to order your steps. And if you're not particularly a spiritual person, you know, if you're just kind of like getting encouragement from this, but you don't do the, the, the church thing or the God thing, um, you know, uh, may I submit to your understanding that simply, you know, you have to do what you feel most comfortable doing. And if you are suffering where you are, 
what is the what risk aren't you willing to take? God is using your suffering to prepare your faith. Um, that way you will be able to understand, like, I don't have nothing else to lose. When your disobedience reaps a consequence of poverty, obedience becomes easier for you. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not hard for you to obey when God has promised that you are prosper on the other side of this. But it's the job of the enemy um, to keep you in systems of control, systems of bondage, mm -hmm. systems of, of guessing, what if, you know, uncertainty. So you have to make the you have to make the choice and make the decision to be happy. I choose to be happy. 2020 is my year. I choose to be happy. You know, you make a decision. You make an executive decision that you will prosper in this year. Yep. And no matter what COVID has produced or no matter what the economy is going through, God's year is still a good year. This is still the acceptable year of God. You know, so whatever God said, there's still seven, six, seven more months in this year. You have the right. You have the decision. You have all of what you need. Um to hold God to the word that he promised you for this year. So when God says move, don't don't struggle with the decision because you being disobedient. See, this is another thing that I didn't talk about. God told me to move to New Orleans back in 2016 in August before all of this happened in October, mm. before I met my wife. So had I obeyed God, I would have never went to prison. I would have never been in the situation that I was in. I would have, I could have, I could have bypassed all of that. So your disobedience will come and produce for you, will come to and produce for you a season of suffering that you may or may not really honestly be able to bounce back from. But I'm encouraging you today to just step out on faith. If God said relocate, move. If the Lord said go and get a place that, that you're, that you know, a different type of place that may be a little bit more go with what God said because we struggle paying $600 a month for our rent wow. struggle paying $600 a month for our rent to being able to to make the rent payment here which is significantly more wow. than $600 mm -hmm. you know um, we made that payment early you know you go from being late to being before time so mm. you have to make the decision in your prophesied place lies everything that you need but don't allow the appearance of the giants to make you believe that your prophesied place, your Canaan, is not God sent. You got to evict the giants out of it, but it's still what God said. So I encourage you, if God say relocate, move, obey God. At this time, we're going to take up our offering. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, that was so inspiring and encouraging. <laughs> I had to, man. I just had to. <laughs> Listen, my brother, I thank you so much for your time. This has been so rich and, and inspiring. And I'm going to watch this back because I know I'm in, the, I'm in the conversation, so I know there's some things I missed. But it's been another episode Direct Dialogue. My man, Khalid Sanders. Did I get it right? You got it right. All right. <laughs> Khalid Sanders. Y'all watch uh, another episode, and I'll see you in the next video. Peace.